don't get over amputations. Last summer I was mowing the grass and I just happened to step wrong. For, for some reason I, I stepped wrong and I, I twisted my ankle. I mean, I just, I hit the ground writhing in pain. I, I sat there for a, a couple of minutes. Man, my ankle was killing me. But you know what? I eventually got up and was able to walk it off. And the pain subsided. Let's say I got a, an infection in my foot and it started spreading up my leg. And the only way to save my life was to amputate my, my leg right above the knee. I think you would agree with me tonight that that's not something I could just shake off. And it, it wouldn't matter how long I lived after that. I would never get over it. Because I would wake up every morning reminded of it. I pulled the covers back, saw the nub. A loss like the one that our family suffered and some of you perhaps have suffered or maybe some folks that you love have suffered. Listen tonight, that's an amputation. You don't get over amputation. I heard it explained this way. We don't look at someone who is enjoying life's blessings and tell them to get over it. For example, let's say you get, a, you get a, an in, a, a card in the mail, an envelope in the mail, and you open it up, and it, it's a birth announcement. And some friends of yours have just been blessed with their first child. So you write them back, congratulations on the, the birth of your child. Maybe you get them a gift, and you're happy for them. Five years later, you're going through the mail and there's an envelope and you open it up and it's an invitation for this kid's fifth birthday. Who looks at that and says, are you kidding me? This is five years in a row. Okay, we get it. You got a kid. You've had him five years. You need to get over it. We don't expect people to get over the birth of a child. Why should we expect them to get over the death of one? To get over any other tragedy as far as that goes. Helping others understand. Is the PowerPoint not working, guys? Okay, okay. Helping others understand they don't have to get over it will deliver them from the expectations of people who mean well but have never walked their path. First, you don't have to get over it. Second, you can get through it. can get through it. Now here's what I mean by, by getting through it. Let's make sure that, that we were together tonight on this. Talking about that time that eventually comes. Let me pause here for a moment and say this. That time is different for everyone. We need to, we need to understand that tonight. Nobody grieves the same way the same amount of time. Moms grieve different than dads, and dads grieve different than moms, and parents grieve different than siblings. Nobody grieves the same. So there's no set time, okay? And it dawned on me early on after the loss of our son why it hit my wife so incredibly hard. It's because she had a nine-month connection with TJ that none of us had. I'm talking about that time that eventually comes. When someone accepts 
horrible event that brought them so much grief and sorrow. With the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. Here's what I'm saying tonight. You can get there with the Lord's help. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what was done is done. Nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Though he never got over his thorn in the flesh, I believe Paul did get through it. That is, I believe that, that he did come to accept it. And he did find the strength to move forward in his life in spite of it. And I base that on, on the, the last part of verse 9 in the text that we read where he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest on me. Please understand this tonight. Acceptance doesn't mean everything is okay. Everything is not okay in our family. We're missing a son. But it does mean you are okay. That you are choosing to get through it, even though you will never get over it. A third truth that I'll share with you, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's a Bible truth all over the Word of God. Brother Prater, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that He has the power, the wisdom, the authority to do or allow anything He chooses with regard to his creation. Say it again. Say that God is sovereign means that he has the power, wisdom, the authority to do or allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. I believe Paul acknowledged God's sovereignty. He stated that his thorn in the flesh had been given he knew it wasn't just a stroke of bad luck or happen chance or fate. He knew it was by divine design. To say God is sovereign is to say a number of things. It is to say that He's free to do whatever He chooses to do. To say that God is sovereign means that He has the right to deal with us any way He chooses. It's to say that He doesn't have to treat us like He treats our neighbors. Say that God is sovereign is to say that He doesn't have to treat us today like He treated us yesterday. Maybe most importantly, say God is sovereign is to say that He's not obligated to live up to our expectations to explain Himself. Now, let me, let me just shoot straight with you tonight. That's not something I would have wanted to hear days after my son's death. So be careful about sharing that kind of truth with someone who's Newly grieving. But the sooner we wrap our minds around that truth, better. Because listen, tragedy will challenge everything. Mark my words. Tragedy will challenge everything you have ever believed about God. If you've grounded your faith and your belief in the Bible, listen friend, though your whole world may change, Truth about who God is will never change. That truth about God from His Word will be your firm foundation even in the worst storms. I don't know what we would have done. Our souls, our hearts, 
been anchored the truth of the Word of God. Let me say this. Time, formulate your belief about who and what God is right now before the storm strikes. Because when it hits, you're going to be doing everything you can just to make sense of life. My friend, if you haven't already settled in your heart, God is who this book says He is. When the storm comes, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. Let me encourage you tonight. Not quite sure about God and what the Bible, who the Bible says He is, what the Bible says He is, then get with a, a, a seasoned Christian. Get with your pastor, your pastor's wife, uh, Brother Reese, his wife, one of the deacons here. And do a study on what the Bible says about God and who He is. And it grounds your faith in that truth. The fourth truth that will help you get through what you'll never get over. That God can use pain, our good, for His glory. We're all familiar with Paul's words to the Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How many of you ever heard that verse before? Oh yeah, all over. I don't know about you, but I've come to the conclusion God has a different definition for words than I do. For example, He does work all things for my eternal good, His eternal glory. Sometimes His definition of good and my definition of good aren't the same. My good never Ever be losing our son in the prime of his life. My good would never include seeing our daughter-in-law having to raise three children on her own. My good would, would, would never include Sheena having to answer questions like this. Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix daddy and bring him home? How do you answer a question like that? That's not my definition of good. My definition uh, of good would, would, would be TJ alive and calling us every week without fail just to see how we were doing. My good would be a, a kiss on my bald head and the words, love you pops. My good would, would be TJ getting to watch all three of his daughters grow up to be godly ladies who marry godly men and spend their entire lives serving the God their mom and dad serve. That's good. But what possible good come from a tragedy, tragedy like ours or like those who others have, have suffered? I'll give you just a few things to think about. We'll not read all these scriptures. You can write them down and read them when you get home. Here's, here's one truth. Pain produces deeper relationship with the Lord. Granted, when we suffer pain, we wonder why God couldn't teach us these lessons in a kinder, more gentle way. I mean, we ask, did we really need to suffer like this to learn the lesson? God, I really don't think I'm that dense. I'll be the first to admit tonight, I don't understand why God does what He does. Church, I know He loves me. wants me to draw near to Him. Sometimes He will allow me to feel the pain, this world's unhealed hurts, but brings us closer. And by the name of John Kitchen said this, Our deepest encounters with God 
may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Think about that. Our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. There's another good thing conforms us into the image of Christ. So often we stop it uh, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and, and we don't carry on to verse 29 that says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to become conformed to the image of his Son. He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Years ago, a man in our church, his name was Glenn Scruggs. Glenn was just an old cowboy and was just laid back and you never saw Glenn without a toothpick hanging out the side of his mouth, ever. Godly man, godly man. I remember one day he come up to the office and had a gift for our pastor. And he handed him a, a little, like they weren't that, that tall, a little pair of matching cowboy boots that he had carved out of wood. They were hollow, were you putting for that? They were hollow. They had designs up the sides, and des- I mean, they were extravagantly carved. Pastor Landis said, Glenn, how in the world did you do that? Well, preacher, you just cut away that everything that didn't look like a boot. <laughs> how do we become conformed into the image of God's dear Son? Little bit by little bit, God chisels away the things in us that don't look like Jesus. Other when God permits pain in our life, we can help others with pain their life. A biblical truth. Paul said, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Watch this. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Much as God has allowed, Katie and I have used our experience to help others. Thankfully, others have used their experience to help us. When we talk to someone who's farther along the path of recovery encourages us to keep moving forward with the hope that things will not always be how they seem to be right now. Likewise, when we share from our experience those whose lives have have been recently shattered, not only encourages them, but it helps us to gain perspective to see how far we've come. We even, listen, even when our circumstances aren't good, God's purposes are. Even when our circumstances aren't good, God's purposes are. Have just a couple more things and I'll be done. One of them is this. It's okay. Ask why. Some have been led to believe, incorrectly in my opinion, that it's wrong. Ask why. I submit to you tonight, God is not put off our questions. Listen, David questioned God numerous times in the Psalms. Whenever he was seeking for answers, David asked God all kinds of questions. Questioned God when, when God seemed to be distant. He questioned God when he felt forsaken by him. He questioned him when he felt God had forgotten about him. 
There's a time in, in David's world when, when he thought maybe God was asleep. He questioned him. He questioned him when he felt like God was hiding from him. He questioned God when he felt like injustice was going to go, uh, 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 was going to be permitted to go on unpunished. Besides David, Moses questioned God. In Numbers 11, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1, Job in chapter 7, the disciples in John 9, perhaps the most classic time of questioning God was by His own Son. Matthew 27, He hung on the cross and He said, My God, my God, help me church, why hast thou forsaken me? Quote John Kitchen again, he said, Why is the first and greatest word the suffering soul? Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father, pour our heart out to Him. That being said, I'll say this, I believe there's a danger, a persistent focus on why. The longer our question goes unanswered, more it feeds a sense of entitlement. As that sense of entitlement grows, it often leads to bitterness. We find ourselves being pushed farther away from God rather than being drawn closer to Him. It's probably time to ask a different question. Perhaps a better question would be what? Lord, now that, that, that our life without our Son is, is our new normal, what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to change? What can I do to help others? I can only speak for myself here. At the end of the day, an explanation from God is not going to satisfy me anyway. I'm going to bring my son back. Preacher, it's not like I'm going to go, oh, well, silly me, why, why didn't I see that? Knowing why, not going to change anything in my life. And I'm just speaking for me. Knowing me, it would just lead to more questions. I promise you, I've got a different way to handle whatever God wanted to accomplish. There was a number of different ways to get her done. So instead of continuously asking why, perhaps we would be better served to pray, ask God, Help our faith, our trust in Him be greater than our need. Know why. Final truth I'd like to share with you tonight is simply this. God's grace is sufficient. Pain of losing our son so unexpectedly. Greater than anything I can even begin to describe. The help we have received from the Lord is greater than anything I could begin to explain. God said to Paul, look at it, red letters, my grace is sufficient for thee. I love the word sufficient. What that means is it's enough. Enough. Always and forever enough. As one writer put it, it would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all the water and to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier to suck the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw and to exhaust God's supply of grace. It's grace 
hath brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me home. John Newton penned this promise, did so out of a personal experience. Greatest test came the day that he buried his wife, Mary. He loved her dearly and prayed often that his death would precede hers. His prayer not answered. On the day Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. Next day he visited church members and later officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief found God's vision. He would later write this, Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. The Lord, all-sufficient God, speaks. It is done. Let those who know Him and trust Him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. What He can do, He has promised that He will do. Thank God. It's all sufficient. Amazing grace. How many to close with this tonight? Father's way may twist and turn. My heart throb and ache. In my soul I'm glad to know maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. He doth know way. Though night be dark and it may seem that day will never break. Pin my faith. My all in Him maketh no mistake. There's so much now Cannot see, eyesight's far too dim. Come what may, simply trust, leave it all to Him. By and by the mist will lift, plain it all He'll make. Through all the way, dark to me, made one mistake. Bow your heads in prayer with me tonight. One thing, I shouldn't say the one thing, but one of the, the, the big things